Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Timothy Smith. Uh, He's a DVM, uh, Doctor of Veterinary Medicine, I believe, a PhD. Uh, He's the VP of Pathogen Detection Systems at Nephros, N-E-P-H-R-O-S, Nephros Incorporated. So we're going to talk about um, waterborne pathogens, such as Legionella, et cetera. So... um, Timothy, thanks for coming. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And I'm, I have to admit, I'm a fan. Oh, thank you. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I've only done uh, like 2,300 of these, so there's still like thousands <laughs> more to go. I'm getting it. Good. good. <laughs> so, Excellent. Well, t- tell me about Nephros and then your work there. What's it about? So Nephros is a company that uh, started many years ago, actually, 1997, and they have their core technology uh, in filtration systems. In fact, today they have one of the only uh, approved, FDA-approved medical device filters on the market. Uh, Their filters uh, provide uh, safety, a safe barrier uh, between waterborne pathogens, the most most, uh, recognizable of which is uh, Legionella, uh, Legionella pneumophila, the cause of uh, Legionnaire's disease, uh, and potential... um, people that would be infected downstream. So in premise plumbing, you know, the plumbing systems in hospitals, in uh, retirement homes and assisted living and other, other healthcare facilities. That's, the, uh, that's probably a, a good quick overview of the company. Uh, I'm part of uh, a new part of Nephros and that is the pathogen detection systems. So Nephros is extending its reach, not only to preventing uh, adverse health events and, and uh, illness in, in humans, but also to go further and detect the path, waterborne pathogens in the plumbing system um, uh, so that we can appropriate help our, our clients and customers to appropriately uh, decide mitigation strategies of which uh, pl- uh, filtration is one. So we, where do these problems happen? I mean, I, you know, I, guess I probably wrongly assume, you know, I'm in the U.S. in a first world country, and water treatment plants take care of our water, and I have no no worries. But what's the real reality of it here and then in other countries? Yeah, yeah. So, so the reality of it is that everywhere we are, all the time, we're living in a soup or a sea of of microbial organisms, uh, many of which are bacteria, some of which are viruses, and then of course there's you know, fungi and other guys, but we'll, we'll talk about uh, mainly bacteria and we'll focus on, on them. Uh, most people think when they turn the faucet on to draw a, a glass of water or they turn the shower on to, you know, to take, take a shower and, and get clean, they, they think like you do, that the water is pristine and clear and, and pure. And while in most cases, municipal water supplies do deliver a safe product to you, it is far from sterile. It has many microorganisms in it. Uh, I've taken recently to uh, likening the plumbing system of a building, any building, 
uh, built structure uh, to similar to uh, our own gastrointestinal system, our own gut. And it has a microbiome. It has bacteria that are in there normally. It has bacteria in there that don't cause a problem. And in fact, they may be good guys. Uh, They may help keep down some of the uh, other bacteria and viruses that could cause human health issues. Uh, And it's when things get out of balance uh, that we tend to see a problem. That's a good um, analogy. So it makes sense. Any niche should have its own constituent microbiome. So plumbing in my house, plumbing in a hospital, plumbing wherever, like you're saying, should have its own microbiome. Has this been studied? Has anyone tried to uh, sample in a plumbing system in a given building at various points to see if there's a, a large diversity? And, you know, in a plumbing system, upstream and downstream is a very big factor. In living organisms, is probably a, a massive recycling. But, you know, in a, in a commercial system or residential, there's, not, there's just flow through. So how does that change its, uh, its constituency? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a fascinating uh, set of uh, family, if you will, of of questions there. And let me let me try to tackle that a little piece at a time. So there is a, a treatment system within municipal water supplies, and typically there's chlorination or some other type of uh, chemical treatment that happens at that plant, and then the water is distributed throughout uh, throughout the city uh, and delivered to different buildings in pipes. Uh, the mitigation or treatment that is given at the site of water treatment, the municipal water supply, often dilutes out, often has little lesser and, and, and little effect when it's at the farthest points from that system. So what does that mean? It means that many of the bacteria, uh, the bactericidal or bacteriostatic effects uh, to hold the numbers of bacteria down lessen as you go further out. Uh, there's another effect, and that is uh, the age of buildings, the age of plumbing and pipes, what material they're made out of. And uh, when uh, when there's construction or breakage of pipes or uh, there's an opportunity for bacteria to enter the system far downstream from the municipal supply. And once they get in, they can begin multiplying. They find, as you, as you mentioned, niches or niches, uh, places where they can multiply and, and make a good home. Uh, there's another factor to this that some bacteria are very good at making something called a biofilm. That is, they secrete uh, lipopolysaccharides and other various chemicals that allow them to gain a foothold, uh, build a house, if you will, uh, a structure where they and other other microbes can uh, can multiply and survive and form a little community inside the piping. Uh, there are various uh, structures within plumbing and, and uh, built structure plumbing, which can, is more favorable to biofilm production and for harboring uh, for for harboring different uh, microbes and bacteria. Uh, with something yeah. that's called a, a dead leg pipe, so a pipe that has a dead end to it uh, and doesn't have good flow through it. I'm sorry, go ahead, please. Oh, a friend of mine works at the CDC, and um, he said that they've identified, you know, again, I can't name them or anything, but he's, I'm sure you've seen they've identified in hospitals, I guess, the pee traps in sinks and toilets and things like that is, uh, is a place where, you know, medications get flushed. Um, patients that are taking medications will, you know, dump things down the drain or go to the bathroom and the toilet. And that's a, you know, like an area where a lot of antimicrobial resistance can happen because the environment is, uh, is very different and you know in that niche where stuff gets trapped things can really uh, form like a witch's brew of new stuff 
Yes, 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 that's exactly right. And you asked the question about, uh, have people studied this? So there have been very, very few studies in, uh, done, and none of them broadly, where we looked at what the microbiome of different building structures are. Uh, there's one researcher at the EPA uh, who presented last year at the um, annual Legionella conference who actually did look at what the community structure is, but there's not been a, there's not been a very uh, broad and far-reaching uh, examination of what all is in there. Now, you know, we, we tend to uh, put resources, particularly for healthcare, uh, where they're needed most. And so we focus on what we at least perceive is the major problem at the moment. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, right now, the, the uh, bug du jour, or what has most everyone's attention, is Legionella pneumophila, or the cause of Legionnaire's disease. And this is what most people, if they're testing or looking for, that's what they will look for. They'll do a test for Legionella and Legionella only. Now they might do a, a PCR test for that to, to, you know, looking for the genetic material of the bug, or they might actually try to culture it or grow it. And Legionella is a pretty slow grower, so that that takes a while. Now, if I can say for a minute, we at uh, Nephros are taking a much broader look, a much more holistic approach. We're concerned about Legionella, particularly for our customers and, and those people who are developing water treatment plans and water safety plans. Uh, we understand the, the need and the focus on Legionella, but we take a much broader view. Uh, we know that there are numerous organisms that in the right place at the right time can cause a severe health problem. So what are some of those other bugs we care about? Uh, Pseudomonas, particularly Pseudomonas aeruginosa. This can cause uh, devastating issues if it's in the water system in the neonatal uh, intensive care unit, the NICU. Uh, uh, small, small people, babies that have uh, not competent immune systems uh, are not able to fight off infection of an opportunistic pathogen like Pseudomonas. Another example is Mycobacterium. Now, if I say mycobacterium, most people would think tuberculosis or leprosy, Hansen's disease, uh, but non-tuberculosis causing mycobacterium can proliferate in uh, pipes and can cause a, a big problem. Now, there's a no number of other organisms, but as I say, in nephros, we're, we're looking at this much more holistically and understanding that the, that the issue when your microbiome in your building gets out of balance is much broader than just Legionella. Yeah, I'm trying to picture different building circumstances. Like, you know, a building where their pipes will run in an uninsulated area probably would have a lot more effective weather changes. You know, the constituency of what's in their pipes will change, I'm sure, again, with the weather and humidity, et cetera. But then other buildings, I'm sure, as you get into the building, the conditions never vary that much. So that would lead to a different regime. And then if it's just, you know, again, water coming in, well, unless the treatment plan, I guess, screws up, why would that affect their uh, their conditions? But is there, I mean, like, what are the predominant mechanisms by which there will be a problem with a building's water? When does it happen? Why does it happen? Yeah, so there can be a, a failure of proper treatment at the municipal supply. And depending upon where they source their water, and, and in this case, I can say, think of Flint, Michigan, you know, and the, and the issues and problems that they've had there in, in the past couple of years, not the chemical issue, but the, the, uh, the Legionella problems in their water. Uh, if, if the water's not properly treated for whatever reason, uh, that those organisms, those bacteria can then seed the entire downstream 
uh, plumbing system. If there is uh, an entry due to construction or pipe breakage, uh, you know, water mains break and plumbing pipes have to be repaired or replaced. So every time you open that uh, otherwise closed system, it allows introduction of, or it's an opportunity for introduction of environmental bacteria uh, to which can be pathogens to enter enter the system and then set up shop or you know build that biofilm uh, in a building uh, down the way. Same thing inside a building, uh, not just in the municipal mains and supplies. Let's just use a hospital for example. Hospitals expand. Hospitals have to do renovations and repairs, and you have to be exceedingly careful every time. Uh, you open up that piping system, it's an opportunity to provide introduction of bacteria uh, seeding, uh, seeding that system where they can, they can proliferate. Uh, there is, uh, we believe, and have evidence for, uh, seasonal changes. You mentioned the weather changes and, and different things. Uh, so water at the entry point at the municipal site is going to change in its in its bacterial composition throughout the seasons and sometimes with weather or flooding events or different things uh, and you mentioned you know once you get inside a building actually there are a lot of different zones inside the building structure itself uh, that provide different environments for bacteria to proliferate or you might think of them as harsher environments for some or more advantageous environments for others. Uh, typically, the hot water loop, as we call it, you know, on the hot side, it's warmer. And uh, that, that's where we tend to see the bad guys setting up shop and proliferating and then seeding the system. Cold water side, is, it's not that it's never a problem. It's just that if you, you know, um, people who have done this for many years know that you can go to specific sites within a building and target that zone for you know to look for the bad guys if you will the the, the bacteria pathogenic bacteria what about anoxic conditions is it preferential to have i know it's probably not you know one-sided only but are aerobic bacteria usually less pathogenic than anaerobic and if that was the case could you have um, you know oxygen infusions or mixing areas along the pipeline that would reduce the ability of anaerobic bacteria to persist? You know, uh, it's difficult to say generally whether uh, pathogens are more often anaerobic or aerobic. Uh, certainly uh, a different cast of characters come into play if you have an anaerobic condition. And we know some notable anaerobic bacteria such as Clostridium uh, botulinum uh, causes lockjaw. Uh, it, it, it's a, a classic, uh, classic pathogen of, of humans and animals. Uh, if you have anaerobic conditions and uh, sufficient nutrient in the water, uh, you'll, you'll see the rise of a different set of pathogens, some of which we may not always recognize from a waterborne pathogen uh, perspective. And certainly just from an aesthetic point of view, uh, water that's well oxygenated tends to taste a lot better. And, uh, and uh, you will avoid a number of problems from the anoxic condition if water is, is well oxygenated. Uh, and but that's not to say there are there are plenty of aerobic bacteria you know that that uh, live very well in the presence of oxygen that can be opportunistic pathogens as well. Yeah, another friend of mine mentioned um, pH can change, especially if you have a, um, a secondary treatment system at the inlet of a building, and that actually may be bad. That may preferentially leach things out of your piping that it didn't leach before. You know, uh, so I'm sure pH plays a big role too, right? 
Yes, pH plays a tremendous role, not only in the immediate in environment uh, that the bacteria are in, in the water, uh, but if you get a change in, in pH that allows uh, for material that the piping is made of or may have accumulated on the inside of the inside uh, of the piping to become released, uh, these are often things that serve as uh, micronutrients or just plain good food for the bacteria to eat. And since you mentioned that, I'll, I'll mention another case, which is outside of what we think of as potable water or drinkable water, but that's cooling towers. So uh, many large buildings will have a cooling tower where water is, is used in the HVAC system for you know, the environmental controls. And a lot of uh, water is used then to, uh, uh, it, it's, it's warmed up and then it's, it's cooled in that environment. There's typically a lot of heavy metals, uh, zinc being one of them, and Legionella absolutely loves that kind of environment. You know, where scales form around uh, ice machines in cooling towers, Legionella uh, tends to really like and it, and it favors the growth of Legionella in these kinds of conditions where frequently a pH change will cause that scale to come off and loosen, uh, becomes more bioavailable uh, to bacteria for bacteria to eat. So yeah, your friend's a, your friend's a sharp person. They, they know what they're talking about. Yeah, every time I start to talk to someone about some kind of phenomenon like this, I always think it's simple at first. And then the more I think about it, the more I'm like, wait a minute, what about this? Wait a minute, what about that? <laughs> yeah, nothing simple about biology, my friend. So what have you identified are, are best practices? And, you know, what, you know, let's say I own a building, I'm happily going along. Um, what do I have to be concerned about? Do I need to hire someone to monitor my, my water quality? Or I'm sure most people don't care unless it's a problem. But uh, are there any basic things that you've noticed that really make a big difference? You know, are there audits that need to be done in their piping? Like what? What's your overall sense of what should be done for buildings to keep water well, safe? Sure. Let me, let me take that from just a generic building and make it a little more specific um, uh, because I think it's interesting and pertinent to, to what we've been discussing. Uh, uh, there was a, a memo, or pardon me, a decision that was passed down uh, by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid uh, Services uh, that required all medical facilities to have a water management plan. And in this plan, there needs to be periodic testing for microorganisms, pathogenic microorganisms. And there are a few examples listed, Legionella being, Legionella being one of them, but there are others that are mentioned. And furthermore, in that plan, if you do detect uh, pathogenic organisms, there has to be an action taken. And I think that this regulation has been more broadly interpreted than just healthcare facilities, and I think that it's prudent uh, for those people who have who have a building, you know, like the building you're discussing, uh, to understand that it's not a sterile environment in the plumbing system, and that there is a potential for pathogens to gain entry, to multiply, and provide exposure to people, whether that's through drinking water or through ice machines or through shower heads or, or other, you know, other outlets of, of the water. So what do you do about it? Well, you need to establish a plan and take into consideration how often you're going to test, what you're going to test for, how you're going to test, and what you're going to do if you find something and, you know, what those mitigations are. And if, 
uh, and I'll just talk briefly about the mitigation. So there are, are different chemical treatments. There are uh, thermal treatments that you can do, and as well as filtration. And filtration is certainly one of those that Nephros, Nephros offers. Um, so it is frequently looked upon that having someone else, a third party who, is, who are professionals at this, to develop your water management plan and help you to execute that to do the monitoring for you and to provide some independence uh, so that the fox isn't guarding the hen house, so to speak, if you will. So are there any kinds of buildings that really need a much more intensive plan than others? What kind of industries are building? So I think that because of the, the nature of healthcare facilities and that I, that I focused on, because of the, the clientele, the patients, the people that are in healthcare facilities, Typically, they have underlying conditions. Frequently, they're immunocompromised, uh, and they're at greater risk to an exposure uh, to a bacteria that you or I, if we're healthy, may shrug off. You know, if um, you know, if you go to the to the water fountain and you get exposed to Pseudomonas at a at a low level, you know, we don't. We might be able to, our immune system is healthy enough, we shrug it off. If you're a patient in the hospital and your, your physical well-being is not uh, 100% and your immune system is somewhat compromised and you're exposed to that same dose of pseudomonas, it can be very complicating. So if you look at any, any of the myriad of, of healthcare facilities, whether they're hospitals, clinics, elder care, uh, or other, you know, other uh, treatment facilities, then these are really, uh, they need particularly high uh, attention and, and close supervision. What about using uh, phages, bacteriophages, to alter the populations you want to beat down or get rid of? Is that in the cards? You know, it is certainly used by some people, and I find it uh, particularly fascinating. I know many of my colleagues for years have been looking at uh, and isolating different bacteriophages, the viruses that attack bacteria, uh, from sewage water and environmental sources. And uh, uh, in fact, if I can, if I can tell a brief story, um, another part in my early career when I was working uh, with Bacillus anthracis, anthrax, uh, there was a particular a phage called the cherry phage, uh, which was di diagnostic for, for anthrax. Uh, and I used to cultivate those and, uh, and provide them to uh, the U.S. Army and other, other folks. But I, I think that the jury is still out on using phages to modify and alter the bacterial population within plumbing. It's certainly something that can be done. Uh, but to what effect? Is it sufficient uh, to lower or alter the population so that we uh, don't have to worry about it, you know, and not use a chemical or thermal uh, mitigation. I don't know. And I, I don't know that the studies have been done broadly enough yet. It does kind of get to uh, an idea I like, and that is uh, using a kind of a, a probiotic. You know, I, it's, it's quite, the, quite the rage in fashion uh, to drink or consume probiotic foods these days for humans and even our, our pets, pet animals. Uh, if we extend the analogy of a microbiome to buildings, it is po possible <laughs> that we could develop a, a probiotic to keep a healthy balance, and phages uh, could be part of that uh, probiotic mix, if you will. You mean like a prebiotic, you know, food for the bacteria you want to proliferate, or a probiotic, a, a deliberate injection of the right bacteria, or I would think a combination, a low-level combination of phage, probiotic, and prebiotic, maybe a more preferential uh, treatment. So nothing is just you know, like you, 
a nuclear bomb, you know? <laughs> you know, I like the, I like your thinking, and I think that a combination of those uh, may be exactly what we need to move toward. Uh, before we do that, Richard, we need to do a lot of a lot of work and a lot of study, understanding what is in our plumbing systems, and uh, you know what's there normally, what the normal balance is, and then how we adjust that balance. Using the nuclear bomb, as you say, we already know that if there's a, a difficulty or a problem, rather, with uh, Legionella and we use some specific treatments, it will, at least for a period of time, uh, mitigate and remediate the uh, Legionella problem, but it will cause other problems with some of the other bacteria. They, they take advantage of the vacant niche, if you will, uh, the vacancy in the community structure of microbes, and they proliferate. Uh, it, uh, many uh, many water consultants, water treatment consultants are observing this. Now, I, I feel like we need to do much more broad studies and I can give you, I can give you just a hint or a peek that uh, we have done quite a bit of uh, studies recently where we're looking at the broad bacterial community within a number of buildings and we're looking at, we're looking at the community structure in the context of the COVID-19 shutdown. So we're, we're looking at a comparison of buildings that have been shut down. There's no usage of those facilities. The water in them is essentially stagnant versus buildings that have remained open and the flow through the, the buildings is normal and, and natural. And we know in stagnant conditions, there's usually a proliferation. And you may have seen some of the articles recently where people are thinking about this and they're very concerned that there need to be some uh, effects, or then, pardon me, there needs to be some treatments and uh, protocol going through before you open up a building uh, that's been that's been stagnant. Now, I can't give you all the results, but I can tell you uh, we have some some pretty exciting findings uh, in the study, and uh, we look forward to coming out with a white paper about that. Yeah, I imagine your lab is. Um, I'm I'm just imagining a room in your lab with like all these pipes of different lengths, and some are warmed and insulated, some are not. And, you know, you, you do your experiments and you sample at the end of each pipe and you can, you know, flow all kinds of stuff through there. And it's like, a, like making beer in a way, but you could sample the water running through these pipes in these different conditions and do different interventions and see what happens to them. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's exactly right. And, and it's very exciting. I, I tell you, I, from my past, a lot of my uh, exciting work as an epidemiologist is field work. So taking field samples and getting uh, water samples from all over the country is uh, very exciting as well as doing the controlled experiments. Um, and it, it could be that I might have brewed beer a few times, but not in my lab. I have to do that at home. <laughs> so what are what do you think are going to be the, I mean, you talked about probiotics essentially for these symptoms. Um, I don't know. What do you what are like the very big questions you're trying to answer? You know, how to bring a system back safely from being stagnant or how to prevent disruptions to these systems at all? Or, you know, like what, you can't do everything. So what's like the primary thing or things that you really want to figure out in the next couple of years? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Thank you for that. You know, the first, the, the first thing we want to do uh, sounds a bit academic, but it's absolutely necessary. We want to understand more about the bacterial communities that inhabit the, the premise plumbing of built structures. So as I mentioned earlier in our discussions, most of the industry is focused, uh, laser focused on one organism and that's Legionella pneumophila. And we think that that's a mistake. 
certainly it's, it's a valid concern, but it's not the only concern. We're looking at what the risks are that could be pre uh, presented by the broader bacterial community. We need to understand that first and foremost. Once we understand that, we can, we can provide actionable information for those people who are providing the water treatment plans, as well as doing the testing uh, for, for facilities. Our focus, again, on healthcare facilities or health-related facilities, but not entirely. You know, it's, it's a much broader industry, as you pointed out during our talk, uh, looking at other buildings. Your building, if it's not a, you know, maybe it's a restaurant, uh, there's issues there as well. And, uh, and the risk is great. So we wanna understand what the community is of bacteria in, in premise plumbing built structures. We wanna understand what the relationships are and what the risks are that are involved. And what about seasonal changes? Uh, how does that community change uh, throughout the seasons, through in a year? How does it change due to certain events, flooding events, uh, you know, uh, other other weather events that might be abnormal, different exposures or introduction of bacteria. I mentioned uh, construction, breakage, repair, those kinds of things. We want to be able to provide actionable data about what bacteria are there, what the potential pathogens are, and what the risks are to human health going forward. So kind of a one, two, three punch there. I won't keep you on too much longer, but one thing also that occurred to me is um, you said that the industry is focused on Legionella, and I forget the species name, but has anyone studied what compounds it produces when it's in the context of other bacteria versus other bacteria? You know, if it's in a water stream with X, Y, and Z bacteria, does it act differently? Is it truly pathogenic than it's with A, B, and C? Maybe there's um, other bacteria that influence what it produces, its metabolites, et cetera, its gene expression to the point where it would essentially be harmless, even though it's called this bad thing, Legionella X. You know, maybe the name is is not really is not really meaningful. It's more the context that that tells you if it's pathogenic or not. So, so what you're asking is is Legionella getting a bad rap? Uh, <laughs> and I think that that's an excellent question. So the the species name is Pneumophila Legionella Pneumophila uh, that we tend to focus on, but believe it or not, that's not the only species of Legionella that can cause uh, human health problems. It, it, there are others that can be a pathogen to humans and cause health problems. Uh, there, has been, there has been probably a little over 30 years of studying uh, Legionella in, in the environment, within, uh, within plumbing systems, and trying to understand its relationship not only to other bacteria, but to protozoa as well, amoebae and uh, and other protozoa. What does it, you know, uh, who eats it? <laughs> you know, who who actually preys on uh, Legionella and consumes them? Uh, and so there's a, a tremendous body of work. Uh, one of one of my colleagues that uh, we frequently work with, Dr. Howard Schumann at the University of Chicago, uh, he's a 30 year veteran of Legionella studies and quite a resource. Great guy. Uh, he's participated in some of our studies. Uh, so there is a great body of work looking at Legionella. I don't think it's enough yet, uh, particularly in the context of uh, what I mentioned, biofilms. Biofilms is rel relatively young field of study, understanding who forms biofilms, who comes, who moves into the neighborhood once biofilms are formed and, you know, and how the neighbors get along. Uh, you know, are there 
are there gang wars that go on <laughs> in biofilms as you as you kind of alluded to you know or are there good neighbors that uh, if we're going to have biofilms in our plumbing system that we just assume they move in uh, rather than rather than the bad guys yeah, and are there biofilms that are formed of more than one uh, species or strain of bacteria? Very different ones. I mean, who knows? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, when you mention biofilms, it's not just one one genus and species. It's a community. And we need to work to understand those community dynamics better. Oh, well, very good. But what's the best way for people to learn more about uh, Nephros and about your work? So I, I would suggest that they go to nephros.com, N-E-P-H-R-O-S.com. And specifically, if you go to nephros.com slash pathogen, you'll see some of our products and as well, look at our team. Uh, we have a tremendous team working on uh, filtration as well as pathogen detection systems and uh, look for us on LinkedIn and other social media. Very good. Well, Kimberly, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, Richard. Thank you so much for having me on. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.